four days after my mom passed away, I did the first wash talk at the storage workers community. So the storage workers are considered as one of the most isolated and the most neglected communities in Bangladesh. So it's a disgrace that we don't, as a society, we don't realize the importance of the work that they do. You know, and a lot of people consider them as untouchables or unclean. But I felt that these are the people who need to know about, you know, the importance of washing hands, you know, sanitation and hygiene and all that. They need to know it the most. So that's why I was really determined to do this project, even though I was told by my family members, you know, to take some time to grieve, to, you know, pray for my mom. But at that point, I was so driven by emotions. I felt like, yes, I can do this project later. I mean, you know, no one will tell me anything, but... If I wait one more day, maybe somebody else will lose their mom because I coming from an educated background, if I was so ignorant about all these, what about those communities who are you know, unaware and uneducated? What about them? So I felt like I really need to step up and take action and you know, go out there and tell people that, look, I lost my mom four days ago because of this. So please take these things seriously so that you don't lose the people you love. So that's pretty much when it started. And ever since I continued my WASH activism. Lifeline. Hello, everyone. My name is Dean Long and welcome to the podcast Lifeline. In this podcast, I will interview people who are having a positive impact in their community and have a strong message that deserves to be shared. We will dive deeper into their journey becoming a change maker, and hopefully you can take away some insights for your own journey. In today's episode, you will be meeting Shomi, a water, sanitation and hygiene activist from Bangladesh, who has been doing community service all her life and who co-founded Awareness 360, an organization to empower more young people to do community service all around the world. We discuss how Awareness 360 started from a burger joint and now has 1,500 volunteers in more than 20 countries. We discuss what are important milestones in her life that shaped who she is today. And finally, she shares with us her love for Bangladesh and how she wants everyone to know about this amazing country. Assalamu alaikum, Shomi. Wa alaikum salam. Super nice to have you. So I wanted, before we start, to say that I'm super glad that you accepted my invitation for Lifeline. And, you know, every time I hear the word youth leader, I think about you. Uh, so <laughs> I'm super happy to have you and also to dive deeper into how you became a youth leader. But, I mean, you are much more than just a youth leader because you are doing so many things. Um, but, yeah, maybe... Do you want to start by introducing yourself, where you come from, and what you are doing right now? Yes, totally. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. It is my pleasure. And great podcast, by the way. I've listened to another episode of this podcast and love it. Love this initiative. Great that you're doing it. So hi, everyone listening. My name is Shomi Hassan Chouturi, and I'm tuning in from Dhaka, Bangladesh right now. That's where I'm from. I am a water sanitation and hygiene activist and the co-founder of a global youth-led organization called Awareness 360, through which we empower young people to do community service projects in line with the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And currently, I finished my undergrad in economics last year in Malaysia from University of Malaysia, and I recently moved back home right before the lockdown 
and right now stuck at home <laughs> working on awareness physics stuff. Cool, thank you, Shami. Yeah, would you like to share a bit what uh, you are doing with Awareness 360? And I also know you have a great story and a long journey behind Awareness 360, if you can share that with us as well. Yes, absolutely. So my journey of doing community service started way back about 12, 13 years ago <laughs> when I was really young. So actually the, the concept of you know giving back or community service, I learned it from, from my dad. So he was very active in the community service space. He was very active in the, in the Rotary community. So I used to see him as I grew up, you know, doing different kinds of events and, you know, communicating with people, arranging projects and such. So that's where I guess I got my first inspiration from. And my mom was also very supportive of, you know, me doing extracurricular activities. So she signed, signed me up like for different kinds of ECAs, like, you know, music and dance and art and whatnot. During my secondary school, I was very involved in, in my school as well, you know, doing debate, drama, blah, 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 music, dance, etc. That's pretty much where I started doing voluntary service. Like I was involved with, you know, school clubs, doing many projects like, you know, winter clothes distribution and things like that. Those kind of helped me to get a scholarship by the U.S. State Department, which is known as the Youth Exchange and Study Program, the YES program through which I went to the U.S. to study my um, last year of high school, the 12th grade, in Michigan, U.S. So I was doing my senior year in Sheboygan Area High School, and that's where my community service journey kind of got a new horizon, I would say. Like, that's where I started doing things to a greater extent. And this is sort of because I was told to do this as part of the program. So I was under this organization called PACS, Programs Academic Exchange. And they asked us to do 40 hours of community service within that year. You know, it, it, was, it was sort of a gesture to show my appreciation to my host family and to my host community for opening their community to me, me being an exchange student. So that's when I started, you know, doing community service in Michigan, and I got involved with different different clubs in my high school. Um, my local coordinator would organize different kinds of community service activities for me and my cluster. So I used to do things like uh, I used to volunteer at, at my community church twice a week, you know, like taking care of babies when their parents are at the service, helping out in the in the kitchen of the church, babysitting. Then um, volunteering at a Thanksgiving dinner at the Crisis Pregnancy Center for the teens who get pregnant unwantedly. Also things like, you know, organizing a Halloween party for, for the people with disabilities. So things like that. So I, I was doing so much and I really loved doing community service so much that by the end of that year, I ended up doing 460 hours of community service. So that led me to receiving the President's Volunteer Service Award, the Gold Award from President Barack Obama and an appreciation letter from the White House. And that award really, you know, boosted my confidence. And I felt like I came to U.S., I contributed to the community here, you know, uh, which, is, which is great. But what about my own country where I truly belong, where I, you know, lived my entire year and uh, my entire life? So when I got back home, I got myself involved with different kinds of organizations, but primarily the YES Alumni Bangladesh Association, who really gave me the opportunity. I, I got elected as their executive committee member. I was doing a lot of projects through that platform. 
and really develop myself and I could implement those skills that I learned during my high school uh, year in, in, the, in the United States doing different projects back home. But at the same time, I wanted to be an engineer and um, maths is my favorite subject. So I got admitted to, um, I, I got accepted and enrolled at a university, at, at an engineering school in, in Michigan. And I, I was initially, I planned to come back to the U.S. for college. So when I moved back home, my mom, you know, started convincing me to stay back in Bangladesh and not go to U.S. for college because she, she was saying stuff like, you know, she misses me when I was away, blah, blah, blah. So I, I was sort of in a dilemma. Like I thought, should I, should I go? I, it's, it's like my dream. I got a scholarship. You know, I want to be an engineer so badly. So should I, should I leave my mom and, and, and go again for four years of college or should I just listen to my mom and stay back? Um, and then I decided to stay back. And um, at the same time, uh, by that time, so you know how in American high school, it's the American high school diploma, and that needed to be converted to a Bangladeshi degree equivalency, whatever. It's, 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 it's an equivalent certificate that I needed to get, which took a while. And by that time, most of the public university exams were, were over. So then my, my family suggested me to get into a private school, you know, to study engineering. And I was kind of mad at my mom for not letting me go. So I was like, you know what? If I don't go to US, I am not going to study engineering. So I'm just going to pick something else. And economics is a subject that I've heard a lot about um, from my dad. And I also thought that, you know, if you want to contribute to a country's development, its economy is the best ways to do that. One of the most crucial <laughs> ways to do that. So that's when I ended up going for economics. So I got myself admitted to a private business school here studying economics. Um, and at the same time, I was doing my different community service stuff. Like I, I, I got myself involved with different sorts of organizations, you know, trying out different spaces, different sectors. So I didn't really have any particular focus. So I was, you know, just doing projects on youth leadership, on women empowerment, on health, uh, on sanitation, you know, washing hands, blah, blah, blah. So I was doing a lot of stuff, but I didn't really know what I was truly passionate about. I only knew that, I like doing community service, so I just kept doing projects after projects. But simultaneously, as I was going to you know, college here, the traffic was so insane, and it still is, that, you know, it's, uh, so my, my college was about 20 to 30 minutes drive maximum from my home, but it used to take me about two hours to two and a half hours just to get there. So every day I'm spending, you know, four to five hours on the road, stuck in traffic. And it is during the traffic, I used to feel so frustrated. And, you know, I would regret not going back to the States. And I would feel like I had a scholarship. Why am I not there? Most of my friends are there. You know, all, all these second thoughts would come to my head. So then I, I started convincing my mom again. And, and my mom saw how I was kind of, you know, suffering here in terms of my academics. So I... I kind of convinced her again that mom, please let me go. I, I want to transfer my credits from here to a, a school somewhere in the States. And my mom actually got convinced and she was like, okay, fine. Why don't you try again? But this time it was for economics, obviously. And I, I secured another scholarship and I, everything was pretty much all set that I would leave for the States again. And definitely I was planning on doing community service, continuing community service in the States as well when I leave. But that's when, like, right before, you know, all this happened, as, as planned, unfortunately, my mom passed away. And 
this was so sudden and she had diarrhea for just a day and then she died just like that and uh, the day she died so it's on 14th of april 2014 um so the 14th of april is the biggest festival um the new year's day in bangladesh it's sort of like the biggest festival here so it's a big day and we as family would really celebrate this day you know but she went to work she used to work at a bank here she went to work even the day before and the next day she's gone just like that so i i simply could not accept this that i lost my mother so suddenly that too from diarrhea because me and my family dismissed it as just a diarrhea case you know so we didn't really care much to be very honest because i mean who would imagine losing someone from diarrhea these days and this is a regret that will haunt me you know all my life but i wanted to find out more like what really happened because diarrhea is sort of it, it's the effect it's the consequence of something right like what really led to this so as i was you know doing up some research on the internet i found out that my mom is actually one of this staggering statistic that there are thousands of people who die from diarrhea in in bangladesh alone so my mom is just one of them and then i found out that it's not just within bangladesh it's a problem or within bangladesh but it's a global issue a global problem and then the root cause it is it is very much linked to you know water sanitation hygiene so that's when i got exposed to the whole wash world i mean i have done projects before related to you know washing hands and all but i wasn't fully aware of this entire space or the the whole you know the entire um, goal 6 clean water and sanitation and all that which later on i got exposed to when the sdgs got introduced the the following year anyway so four days after my mom passed away i did the first wash talk at the sewerage workers community So the storage workers are considered as one of the most isolated and the most neglected communities in Bangladesh. So it's a disgrace that we don't as a society we don't realize the importance of the work that they do, you know, and a lot of people consider them as untouchables or unclean. But I felt that these are the people who need to know about, you know, the importance of washing hands, you know, sanitation and hygiene and all that. They need to know it the most. So that's why I was really determined to do this project even though I was told by my family members you know to take some time to grieve to you know pray for my mom but at that point I was so driven by emotions I felt like yes I can do this project later I mean you know no one will tell me anything but if I wait one more day maybe somebody else will lose their mom because I coming from an educated background if I was so ignorant about all these what about those communities who are you know unaware and uneducated what about them so i felt like i really need to step up and take action and you know go out there and tell people that look i lost my mom 4 days ago because of this so please take these things seriously so that you don't lose the people you love so that's pretty much when it started and ever since i continued my wash activism so yeah i spoke a lot already <laughs> so yeah i think it's super beautiful when you said that i need to do this workshop because if i wait another day maybe many people will die during that day so i need to act now and yeah i was wondering because you were submerged with emotions and everyone told you just to rest a few days and to grieve so like how did you manage to host your first event you told me it was quite big can you share like how did you kickstart this journey 
this project? Yes. The thing is, uh, as I told you before, that it's not like the first time I was doing a project based on, you know, washing hands and all that, because I have been doing things before. It's just that I was not completely focused on this wash space. So I was, for example, back then I was working with the IRNBD and Yes Alumni Bangladesh Association. So I have been doing projects on, you know, youth leadership, women empowerment, health. So with IRNBD and Yes Alumni Bangladesh Association, we have been observing the Global Hand Wash Day since 2012. So it was one of those projects which I proposed to do during the Global Youth Service Day. And it was fairly easier for me to, you know, organize logistics wise because it was in the storage workers community where I did the project was in Maimon Singh. It's my hometown. That's where my mom was buried. So I was already there. And the storage workers, I had a local contact in inside the storage workers community because that person, he used to work at my like many, many years ago. He used to work at my dad's farm, fisheries farm in Maimansing. So, and once he invited us to his place, you know, to, on, on his daughter's birthday. And when we went there, I, I really saw how unhygienic that whole place was, but he was like really happy and everything. Like they, they, they were really nice people, but that was like my first time ever to go inside a storage workers community and see how they live. And that's when I realized that they live in an extremely unhygienic condition. That's when I got the idea that, okay, maybe I can do a project here and I should do a project here. That's why I, I proposed to IRNBD to fund this for this project during the Global Youth Service Day. And in the meantime, suddenly my mother died. So I was not expecting this at all. So if it was any other project, I would probably have listened to my family and be like okay i will do it later but because it was connected to the very reason why i lost my mother is what really drove me to actually finish this project so things were already pretty much in place so i told them that no i still want to do this project and i added some few components to the agenda which was not included before and and then i just did it so yeah, it's like you were doing all these things, but everything sort of connected, like all the dots connected on that day. So what happened after that workshop? So you were like, okay, I want to continue organizing these kind of workshops. Was this workshop the birth of Awareness 360 or not yet? No, no, no. Awareness 360 was not formed at the time. Okay. And yeah, so how did you continue your activism in WASH after this workshop, this first event? Right. So after this, I really saw, you know, the, the change that I could bring to people. Like when I saw that people didn't really know the proper steps of hand washing, for example, they didn't know so many things. And I could actually see how enlightened they felt. And that's when I felt like, you know what, I want to continue this. This is what I want my life's mission to be. And I, I want to do this for every other hard-to-reach communities there are. So in the meantime, when I came back to Dhaka, the capital city, and I started going back to the college that I used to, that's where I met my friend who is now my best friend, Rijvi. And you know him. <laughs> so we met in college. So he used to be also active in different other organizations and different other fields. And, you know, one day we were just, you know, hanging out at a burger joint and we were just discussing how, you know, how he is very passionate about the, the quality education space and all that. And I was telling him how, you know, I'm very passionate about the water sanitation and hygiene space. And we were just randomly chatting. And then at one point of the conversation, we, we both agreed that, you know, 
we as young people want to do, we have our different sources of passion and we want to do so many things for our community. But we are sure that there are other young people just like us who also want to do something for their community, but they don't have the 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 right platform, for example. Just they might need a little bit of push or just a bit of guidance, right? So that's when Rijvi and I felt like, okay, we are going to create a platform where we will welcome and embrace, you know, young people who may not have any previous experience at all because for example, I have been doing community service for so many years now. Now I know how things work. Now I know how to, you know, run a project. So it's, the, these things are now fairly easy for me. But I imagined like how, so when I was in the States, I had my local coordinator organizing stuff for me where I went and volunteered. So I felt like I have had so many like mentors, you know, to, to really guide me all this way. So I felt like I also need to do something for other young people out there to share my knowledge and my experience so that they can be empowered to be change makers in their own way. So that's when Rijvi and I kind of just clicked. So just like that from a random conversation at a burger joint, Awareness 360 evolved. And then we, we decided that um, so the following year, the SDGs also got introduced and we felt like, OK, we will use the SDG framework, you know, to empower young people so that they can do their community service projects in line with the SDGs, whatever SDG they feel more connected to or they feel more passionate about. So we just wanted to give people the, the, the right skills, the right tools to start off their change-making journey. So very basic things like, you know, how to write a project proposal, how to apply for grants, uh, how to write a project report, how to do proper documentation, etc., etc. So that's pretty much how we started and we continued doing, you know, the WASH projects and, and we improved along the way, definitely. And we started, we, we utilized our existing resource from our previous involvements in all these organizations and all these different, you know, conferences and all that we have attended. So we really utilized those connections and started building our own platform. And we continued. So we have worked with sex workers community. We have worked with, you know, different school children, persons with disabilities. We, ha we really have been trying to, you know, spread the word out there regarding WASH in, in my case and also on other SDGs as well through our members. That's great because some organizations start in a garage, but some others start in a burger joint. Uh, <laughs> and I guess you received so much from volunteering throughout your very young years. And now it was like a way for you to share and give back what you have learned throughout your volunteering and community service journey with as many young people as possible. And I really love that you adopted the SDGs framework, obviously, but above all that you had this leave no one behind you know, mindset because you said you are working with sex workers, with people with disabilities, with school children from rural areas. So... I think it's really great that you kept this in mind. I really want to ask you, because you started in, in Burger Joint in Dhaka, but now you are like in 23 countries. But yeah, before that, I wanted to ask you, what do you think doing community service from such a young age brought you and made you maybe different from other young people who maybe don't do volunteering at such young age? Hmm. That's a very good question. So, I mean, of course, there are personal developments, like, you know, in terms of skill buildings, like all the different kinds of skills, like communication skills, leadership skills, and then networking skills, for example. Those things have definitely developed. So I have developed myself, you know, in terms of skills and all. 
But I think what really um, all these experiences in my volunteering journey has taught me is the value of empathy. So what it's like to put yourself in, in others' shoes, right? So I, I have become more empathetic as I worked with all these different kinds of people from different backgrounds. And I truly realized the privileges that I've had as I grew up and, you know, how people are, are, are really suffering out there and, and, the, and, and how and, and it really made me think about how I can help, help them in, in one way or another. Because it's one thing to understand someone's feeling. So actually, I was, uh, recently I was reading up this thing on the different kinds of empathy, right? So there are, there are three kinds of empathy. The first kind is where you understand someone else's feeling that, okay, you got hurt, I got hurt. Uh, I mean, you got hurt, okay, I understand that you got hurt and I, I feel bad for you. That's one. And the second kind of empathy is where you really try to feel the other person that, okay, you got hurt, what would I feel if I got hurt? You know, really putting yourself in others' shoes. And maybe you will remember one of those experiences where you got hurt in one way or another. And the third kind of empathy is where you take action. You don't just understand someone else's sorrow or whatever that is, or you don't just feel the other person, but actually do something to, to address that problem. So I think all these volunteering journey actually helped me to move towards that, that compassive kind of empathy. So just from understanding someone else's feeling to actually feeling it and taking action to solve it. So I think that's one of the values that I really cherish that I have received from all these volunteering experiences. Mm, it's very interesting. I've never heard of these three levels of empathy. Really like the one which is more like solutions, action-oriented. And I guess it's what you want to also spread among the volunteers of Awareness360. And yeah, I wonder, like, so now coming back to the, the question, you, you started in a burger joint and now you are, we were just discussing that you had volunteers in Paris and you are basically in 23 countries. I wonder how, how does it happen, <laughs> you know? How do you happen? You, you start in Dakar, now you're in, like in just a few years, you're in 26 countries, even in countries where I guess you've never been. So yeah, how, how does this happen? So this is where like both me and Rijvi's combined, you know, connections and all these previous experiences actually helped us to grow this fast. So for example, we use this, the power of, as you were just mentioning, that we even operate in countries where me or, or Rijvi or any of our other team, like the global team members have never even been, so um, been to. So we basically, how our uh, the framework is such that we use the power of social media. You know, we think that it is a great and a very, very important tool in order to connect people. So every year what we do is we recruit a new cohort of, of members and the selection process is quite robust. So we are very, very selective about, you know, which people we choose to be in our team because we truly believe that our members are our greatest resource, right? So it is important that we get the right people on board. So we, you know, we do an interview, uh, there is a written form and then we do an interview and we really see whether that person is truly committed to the cause or not. And then we have, so the first level is the global team where it's five of us. We are, you know, we kind of lead the entire organization. And then it's the country ambassadors. 
So in each country, we have one or two country ambassadors who represent their country to our organization. And so the country ambassadors are like really very leaderly and very competent who have at least a bit of experiences, few years of experiences in, you know, leading and, you know, doing projects and all that. And then they are the ones who uh, recruit core members in their individual uh, respective countries. And the core members are the ones who regularly work with the country ambassador throughout the year. They come up with, they identify the problem that they want to work on. They come up with the solution, the kind of projects they want to do. And then they do it. And then there are the volunteers who are kind of um, one-off. So they, they don't necessarily have to commit throughout the year. They will come on a project basis. So it may be the same volunteers coming, uh, you know, to volunteer in every project. So they basically come on the day of the project. But the core members and the country ambassadors are the team who actually, you know, from planning phase to implementation, they arrange everything. So we give them the tools. We give them, you know, how to write a project proposal, how to approach a certain school principal, for example, to do a WASH project in their school. We provide them with all the paperwork and all that. We really give them the strategy, like how they can run a project. But they are the ones who actually do it. They are the ones who come to us and tell us that, hey, this is the problem in my community that I want to solve. And another um, a question that you might have is regarding funding. So this is where we are kind of different from the other existing organizations. So we are completely nonprofit, right? And it's voluntary. It's, we all are volunteers, basically. None of us get paid. We don't even charge any membership fee from the members. So you might be, and, and all these, you know, workshops and projects that we do, we don't even charge any participants or anything. So you might be thinking that, okay, so how do we even sustain? How do we even run our projects? So this is where we, uh, we call this zero budget policy. So in terms of the zero budget policy, we encourage our members to come up with project proposals where the closer they are to zero, the better they are. So we don't want to have a showdown of projects. You know, we really want to cut down all the unnecessary costs. You know, for example, do you really need to print T-shirts for every single project? You know, do you really need to print banners for, for every single project? If, you, if you're doing a wash project at a school auditorium, if there is a projector, do you really need to print a banner? No, you can just use a digital poster, you know, projected on the projector. So this is how we can also come up with more sustainable options and also cut down the cost to a very like bare minimum. But still, there are few costs that, I mean, there will be a certain amount of money that you will need in order to run those projects. This is where we do community-level fundraising. So this is where the core members and the country ambassador, they reach out to their community through different, you know, fundraising strategies. So, for example, our team in Zimbabwe, they do uh, car wash in their university. They do laundry in their university, and then they raise fund. And we also think that this is another way to raise awareness because when somebody donates me a certain amount of money, that person will ask me what he or she is donating to, right? So that's another way to kind of raise the awareness about that certain issue of that community. And the big projects, we, we apply for different grants in different international organizations that we're involved with. So utilize those grants money to do the big ones. So that's pretty much how we are running. And we are very much engaged and, you know, we maintain regular communication with our members. So we have regular meetings and we, we have our, you know, the, the WhatsApp group and Messenger group and whatnot, where we are regularly communicating with each other, inspiring each other to not give up and to be, you know, really be focused on our passion. So, yeah, that's how we are, uh, we, we are running. 
And how, how big is the uh, Awareness 360 community now? Oh, we, uh, so almost 1,500 people. Wow, 1,500 people empowered by Shomi and Rishvi. <laughs> and so this will sound a bit like a job interview question, but during the Awareness 360 journey, what was maybe one thing that you were the most proud of and one thing, one big challenge that you had to face while scaling up Awareness 360? Well, I mean, definitely wasn't an easy ride. So there, there were lots of challenges. But I think um, the one that I can think of right now is the first project with the sex workers, with one of the sex workers community at a, at a brothel in, in Bangladesh. I think that project was the most challenging project ever. And both of your questions are kind of connected to that because I'm really proud of, of my entire team, you know, about the fact that we actually could overcome that certain challenge in that project. So when we first decided to do a project with the sex workers, the sex workers community is like the most stigmatized community in Bangladesh. So prostitution is, is legal in Bangladesh, but because we have a Muslim majority population, the whole community is very much stigmatized and there's a lot of cultural restrictions. So people don't really take it very positively and don't really welcome the idea of working with sex workers. So the first challenge is getting access to the brothel because it's, it's not easy. It's not like any other community that you just walk in and be like, hey, I want to do a project here, right? So it's, it's very dangerous. The entire place is very dangerous because there are different kinds of people inside, you know, starting from drug dealers to martyrs to like all kinds of people are there, literally. So definitely we were very scared in the beginning that do we really want to do it or not? Do we want to do it or not? But then, you know, we felt like if we don't do it now, then when? If not us, then who? So when we decided that, okay, we want to do this project, so we, we were looking for a connection because we don't have any connection to a brothel. So we were looking for a local connection through which we can actually, you know, go in and talk to somebody there. So we established that. It was definitely difficult, but we established a channel. And then when we were there to talk to the madams, so the madams are the, the fairly old sex workers who, who no longer work, but they control the young girls. So when we went there to, to speak to the madams, they were so hard to be, to be convinced. You know, they were like, they, first of all, they don't realize why we're there in the first place. And what goes in there is, is sort of an open secret. So they didn't really want you know, any outsider to go in and they, they were afraid that maybe we will leak some of their information or what goes on inside, blah, blah, blah. So they were like, hey, no, we don't really need you. Our, our girls know all of that. We don't really need you. Our girls are busy. You know, they, they, they work during the night. They, they're tired during the day. They sleep all day. So we don't have time for you. It was so difficult for, for us to actually convince the madams to go there for just one day and speak to them about, about WASH. And we had to do multiple. So the brothel that we selected is in a town which is um, about four hours drive from the capital city where we all are based at. So we had to go about three to four times in one week, you know, amidst all the traffic and the heat. It was, it was so difficult, you know, to do all these commutes just to convince the madams to let us go in for a project. Then when we finally convinced them, it was time to get, you know, some volunteers. Definitely, it's not going to be just two or three of us doing the whole project. We needed some volunteers. And we, we were having a hard time getting volunteers because 
it's a brothel. I mean, no parents would allow their kids to go to a brothel. Some volunteers were themselves very ashamed, thinking, you know, what will their friends think that you went to a brothel, you know, because of all the stigma around, around this entire topic. And uh, some were saying that, are you sure you want to do this? You know, the, some extremists might threaten you, blah, blah, blah. So that was another challenge. So, and then we felt that we really need police protection while we are there, because what if something happens? And when we applied for, you know, a police force to come with us, we found out that we need the permission of the DC, the commissioner of the district. And that is another challenge because, you know, administrative processes take too long here. It's, it's, I mean, everybody knows that. So, you know, it took us a whole lot. Like it was a rigorous challenge to actually get the permission from the authority. And then finally, we, we could manage the police force as well. Uh, and now we also got some very dedicated um, and passionate volunteers by this time. And when we could ensure that there will be police protection, there will be government representatives. That's when getting the volunteers or convincing the parents or guardians got easier. So now everything is um, all set. We are ready to go to do the project. And it is so difficult. You know, the community itself, they're not very open, you know, because they hardly interact with people, you know, other than their job, their business. So, for example, we were told that we can't do the stage. Um, we needed a stage to be built, you know, and we couldn't do that. Sub, I mean, build that stage the night before even because at night people get drunk and, you know, they, they would break it. So that, that, that was a challenge. So we had to make sure that, you know, really early in the morning, there are people who go there and, you know, manage the, the stage and everything that very morning. And then when we finally reached there, you know, towards the beginning, they weren't very receptive. They were not really paying much attention. So, you know, during the project itself, we had to change some things up. We had to add stuff. So we introduced some, you know, like quizzes, games and things like that. We had to play. Uh, we had to change the way we talk to them. So, for example, we were using dialects to, to speak to them so that they feel more connected to us so that the ice kind of breaks. We were allowing them to come up on stage to, you know, to sing, to dance and all that. These are things that we don't do in a usual wash talk. What we do is it's just we go, we speak, you know, and then there is a Q&A, blah, blah, blah. But here, the entire environment was different. You know, they were teasing uh, some of our volunteers, like pulling the, the, the scarves that we wear, you know, calling out names, um, blah, blah, blah. So these things were pretty discouraging for ourselves. And at one point, we were like, should we just leave and, and go? And then we also felt like, no, if we, we came all this way, we came across, like, they, we really need to understand their point of view. So this is also where empathy played a role, understanding where they're coming from, because they don't interact with people. They don't, you know, they're not educated. They have been caged in that uh, confined place for so many years. So they, it, it is okay for them to, you know, act kind of weirdly to say the least. So that's when we felt like, no, we really need to continue and finish this project. But how the things actually ended was really, really amazing. There was this girl who came up on stage and she was singing a Bengali song. And the lyric was something like, you know, how she feels so trapped in that place and she wants to go out there and leave her dreams and all that. And she was getting so emotional while singing the song. And all of us got so emotional, you know, seeing her sing that song as if she's telling her own story. And all these girls and women, they had a fun day after so long. You know, they haven't had this kind of, you know, like a free day for so long. 
um, and they also really adapted to our agenda very well after a while. So at the end of the day, we all came back with a very happy heart. And um, one of the things that we do at Awareness 360 is we really try to follow up with our with the beneficiaries. So we go back after uh, like three or six months to do a follow up, you know, survey and stuff to see whether they actually remember what we taught them. And when we went there, we actually found out that, you know, we gave them some posters on the hand washing steps and those posters are still up on their wall, which is an indication of huge success because we would really, we expected them to just throw it away just like that and, you know, don't give a damn. But the fact that they actually remembered those lessons that we taught them and actually taking this into consideration and applying those message and knowledge in their real life, such as, you know, things like menstrual hygiene, cleanliness of the environment, not throwing trash here and there, very basic things which they didn't know of which was a huge success. So we finally overcame that challenge and seeing us, a lot of other uh, young people and other organizations got encouraged and they got exposed to this whole world of, you know, how the sex workers live, you know, a horrible life and they wanted to do something for them and they started doing their own initiatives. So I think that's why I'm so proud of this particular project. Thank you so much for sharing, Shami. And yeah, I think your impact was also way beyond just wash, uh, as you said. So I think it's super beautiful. So throughout your Awareness 360 journey, I can see online and what you tell me and the social media that you've been invited in many, many places to share your journey with Awareness 360, but also your personal journey as WASH activist. And I also know that you've met a lot of very famous <laughs> celebrities. <laughs> so like, I think you met... So you met the royal family in the UK, you met Obama, you met some, I don't remember his name, but some actor in, in X-Men or, some, uh, or like something like this. Yeah, uh, you Wolverine, huge yeah. X-Men. Yeah, and you also talked in front of 60,000 people. <laughs> Could you share a bit, how, how do you feel in this situation and how, I don't know if you have any anecdotes as well. Um. Yeah, it was one of those really, really fortunate experiences, you know, speaking in front of 60,000 people. I mean, I have done a lot of speaking engagements in, in different places, but never this big. And there were so many people, you know, cheering. It's like a sea of people when I got on stage um, and I was introduced by um, Priyanka Chopra. And there were world leaders and, and then so many wonderful activists you know, philanthropists, like so many important people there, as well as like 60,000 people listening to me. It was definitely an experience worth remembering. And uh, the fact that I could share my message, share my story and share my voice with all these people, that itself is an achievement, I would say. And it, it really gave me the exposure to so many other people to, you know, build more connections and do, because I really believe in the power of collaborations. So from that um, experience, the Global Citizen Festival week, from the entire week, there were different kinds of events where I had the opportunity to, in to interact with different kinds of people who were doing fantastic work. And not just from the WASH space, but from all the other SDGs as well. And there's, uh, I mean, you know this, but there are so many, uh, the, all these SDGs itself, like they are very, very much interconnected. So I really got that opportunity to collaborate with them on different occasions after that speaking opportunity. So I really, really appreciate that opportunity. I've noticed that you always show or you always bring with you the flag of Bangladesh on stage. 
Why is it important for you to to do that? Well, it is because I feel like one of my biggest identities is that I am a Bangladeshi. That's where I belong, right? That's where I'm from, and I want to let people. I want to leave a mark of Bangladesh in the world map, like wherever I go, so that people can instantly recognize me as a Bangladeshi. And um, I feel like I'm carrying my my country and my people with me. So it makes me happy. And at the same time, it it also inspires other young Bangladeshis, you know, to see that it is possible for a Bangladeshi person to go out there and you know do good things for the world. And did you? Is there another Bangladeshi person that makes you feel this way? Uh, yes, there are many. <laughs> well, definitely Nobel laureate Professor Muhammad Yunus. He's I mean, he's an inspiration for millions of people out there, and so is mine. He, like, th there are, you know, there are people who I have who I've met who have never heard of the country Bangladesh, but they know Muhammad Yunus, and they know him, uh, they know Bangladesh because of him, and that's why he he makes me so proud, and I I want to be like him someday. Have you met him already? Yes, yes. In fact, in the Global Citizen Festival, we had a great conversation. Oh, at wow. lunch, actually. Oh, oh. <laughs> it was okay, great. So, so what? So, okay. So among all all the Mohammed Yunus royal family, etc., etc., what is is the best quality time you spent with? Sorry, wait. Oh so, God. <laughs> <laughs> it is really difficult to say because it's very hard to pick each of them. You know, they're, they're very different experiences. They are going to um, listen to the podcast, so choose wisely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're putting me in trouble. <laughs> no, but it is. Oh God, it is really hard to pick just one. I mean, speaking to Professor Yunus was definitely a huge experience. But other than that, there are just so many. It's it's really difficult to pick one. Uh, <laughs> wow. I didn't see this coming. So this, um, I attended this festival on Wash during the Global Citizen Week as well. And his name is Espen. He's the special advisor to the Prime Minister of Norway. And I had the chance to share a cab ride with him from where that event was to to Times Square. Uh, and on our way to Times Square, I had a conversation with him. You know about young people, how we can you know bring change, bring positive change to our communities, and so on. And that conversation was really very enlightening and, and, and inspiring for me. Very humbling experience. I really cherish that that cab ride. Like that was really really amazing. And I I respect him so much. And you know the the, the words that he told me. You know that it really kind of, it, it motivates me to to go on and not to give up if I face any any adversity or challenge. So that conversation is something that I often remember. Thank you for for playing the game and choosing <laughs> one moment. Um, so I wanted to ask you as well because you said you are volunteer. I mean, you you worked on the how to say like you're you're volunteering uh, with Awareness Three Sixty, but it also takes much of your time. But I was wondering, what what do you do in your life besides Awareness Three Sixty? Well, what does one day in your life look like? Okay. Um... So do you, do you mean like other than work and you know all these activism stuff or just in in general? In yeah, in general, like do do because you were studying just before. Now 
Yeah, just, you know, I wonder what, what does someone who had lunch with Mohammed Yunus and a cab ride with advisor to prime minister does every day, you know? Um, so I, well, it's different now because, because of the pandemic. But usually I would have, because uh, other than Awareness 360, I'm involved with different other organizations. So I have about three to four meetings every day with, you know, different organizations on different things. So I do those and definitely before, you know, joining in a meeting, I, I'd have to prepare for those. Um, but what are the, that, the organizations you're involved in? So, yeah, so I'm involved with the Global Change Makers, then Global Citizen as their youth advocate for WASH. Then I'm also a U.S. State Department alumna. So I, I'm not much involved with the ES Alumni uh, Bangladesh Association for the past few years because I was away from home. But like recently I have been, I, I did a couple of events with them and also different speaking engagements. So recently I got appointed as one of the youth advisory board members for youth combating entities. So we will, we will be doing some work around the neglected tropical diseases. And uh, I'm also quite involved in the Commonwealth space in different capacities. For instance, I'm supporting the Commonwealth Students Association as their Asia representative I'm also a Royal Commonwealth Society Fellow. This year, I'm serving as a judge for the Queen's Commonwealth Essay Competition. I was also the country representative for the competition last year. And I'm also involved in the International Task Force for the Commonwealth Youth Forum, which was to be held this year in Rwanda. But due to pandemic, it got postponed. But I'm working with the policy team, coming up with an inclusive and representative policy document that will represent the needs and aspirations of young people across the Commonwealth. I also get to attend different online webinars and workshops by different organizations that I'm involved with. For example, the Diana Award organizes different skills-based sessions for its recipients. So yeah, other than you know attending meetings and doing work, because I was away from home for so many years now, and now that I'm home, I would spend time with my family, my, my dad, my sister, and just watching Netflix, really. I mean, nothing that significant, but... <laughs> If uh, the pandemic wasn't here, I would probably travel. So I like spending time with my friends and especially, you know, traveling to places. So when I was in Malaysia, I would just, you know, hang out with my friends and go explore new destinations within Malaysia. So with all of that, so Awareness 360, the four organizations, what's next for you? So um, what's next? I, I want to continue my studies, so I want to get involved to a master's program. However, now because of the pandemic, things are pretty uncertain, so I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do next. But hopefully I will, you know, I will apply for some scholarships and then get enrolled to a master's program. So I want to continue my studies. At the same time, you know, I, definitely I want to expand and grow Awareness 360. And in terms of our members... So we, we give a lot of liberty to our members, you know, to choose which SDG they want to work on. But now we're thinking of, you know, utilizing this year and the coming year to kind of segregate them as per SDGs so that we have like a, a team per SDG, for example, within a country and, and utilize them and, and empower them with skills specifically needed for that particular SDG, for example. So that's the plan for Awareness 360. And personally, I want to continue my master's. Do you have an idea of what kind of work would you, you would like to do? So, um, so I have, so I want to do my master's in international development or development economics, something of that sort. And then I also want to do my PhD, and then I want to get into professional life. 
right? So in future, I see myself as being, you know, a policy analyst or in some sort of an advisory role, you know, for a government agency or an international organization. But not necessarily in WASH. Not, not necessarily. So the thing is, if I am working at the policy level, so I mean, I, it, it may be WASH as well. Okay. So I was just yeah. like saying from a broader perspective. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. And um, yeah, I have a very deep question for you now. Okay. So what do you want? So it's a question I ask every time. Uh, so you might have heard it in the episode of Valentin. But what do you want people to, you know, to know you for or to remember you for? Hmm. So leaving a legacy, right? Mm. Well, um, I would want people to, especially young people, to remember me for my strength. You know, I want them to be inspired by me and remember me for you know when in times of adversity so that they get the strength to you know change their challenges to their passion finding a purpose in adversity so that's an idea that i want to leave for people so this is something that i uh, i said in my tedx talk that find your passion in what bothers you because oftentimes we we feel like You know, passion is something that, that is related to, like, we link it to something happy, something, you know, joyful. But we can also find our passion or our true calling, our purpose from something that bothers us, that bugs us. And it bugs you so much to that extent that it will make you proactive. It will, you know, you will not just rant about it, but will actually solve it and take an action to, 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 to address that problem. So, yeah, finding strength in times of adversity. This is what I want people to remember me by. Nice. And, uh, yeah, so you mentioned your, your TED Talk because you were also involved in organizing TED Talks, right? During your university years. Yeah, it was a great experience. Who is the guest you invited that you are the most happy about or inspired about? Oh, okay. I'm super annoying with my questions. Why do you do this? <laughs> huh. I mean, um, all, all of them were great. And it, it is just not fair to, to, all to, to pick someone. Um, wow, they, they all were great, really. Um, it's, it's really difficult, so to how, be honest. Where, where can we watch it? It won't be fair to pick. Oh, if you search uh, by uh, TEDx UPM 2019, and then you will find. Uh, so this is the one that I um, I was involved in organizing, and Rizvi was in fact the the director, and I had such a fun time organizing this, and all of the speakers were really amazing. So you can find it by searching TEDx UPM 2019. All right. So and we can also find yours by. I mean, just show yeah. me. TEDx. Mine would be in 2018. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> And um, cool, yeah, I have one last annoying question for you. I mean, it, it will be quite easy for you, I guess. But what are three hashtags that will make people think... Well, well let, let me see it again. What are three hashtags that will make people think about you? Yeah, it's, it's actually fairly easy because I use these hashtags all the time. <laughs> 
So, um, hashtag wash, definitely, because, you know, I advocate for wash and I want people to take wash more seriously and, you know, not just in terms of knowledge, but really um, normalizing all these aspects of wash and, you know, be- having a behavior change. Um, so, yes, hashtag wash, hashtag awareness 360, because awareness 360 is, um, is like my baby. So I definitely want people to, you know, immediately recognize me by this hashtag. And lastly, hashtag global citizen, because I, I really live by the idea of the concept of global citizenship. So, yeah, hashtag global citizen. Great. And yeah, how can people support you or support Awareness360? Um, so people can follow our updates, you know, on social media, on our website. So we are on, on Facebook. They can find us by searching Awareness360 on Instagram as well, Awareness underscore 360. The website is www.awareness360.org, but the 360 is in words, so not in number. And personally, they can reach out to me by Rebha Shomi on Facebook and Instagram. And in terms of support, there are different ways that people can support us. So they can join our team. So that's why if they follow our page, they will see when we call the recruitment application, they can apply and join our team. And just in terms of, you know, encouraging us and supporting us, you know, even by not being a member. And yeah, that, that's it, I guess. Cool. Thank you, Shami. And I have one final question. I promise it's the last one. What do you recommend for people to know a bit more about Bangladesh? Oh, Bangladesh is tourist places because Bangladesh is a beautiful country. We have, there are different, like really beautiful places, but I don't think that our travel industry is, you know, that booming. So I really want people to look up for Bangladesh and visit us to see, you know, what we have to offer. Great. So, yeah, I will see you in Bangladesh then. <laughs> yes, please do. <laughs> Thank you so much, Shami. It was super fun for me to ask you tricky questions and yeah I hope it was not too intense uh, but yeah thank you so much Shami thank you for having me it was fun thank you thank you for listening to the story of Shomi. if you enjoy this episode please please do say to Shomi herself so that she can know and of course you can subscribe to Lifeline and share this episode with your friends so that more people can be inspired by the story of Shomi. In the next episode, you'll be meeting Anne-Laure, one of the most amazing facilitators from France, who wants to unleash the inner power of action of all citizens. Here is an extract, and see you next time. What I'm doing is mostly yeah, group facilitation, so helping groups of people to move forward. I specialize in the subject of citizen mobilization, so empowering young people to launch a campaign of mobilization and hoping for things in society to change and also everything that has to do with finding your own path in life and so facilitating kind of process so that young people know more about themselves and uh, learn to discover who they really are and how to yeah how to be constantly adapting in life and reinventing yourself for me like the common roots is everything that has to do with empowerment So how do you reconnect anyone with his or her own power of action? So for young people, it can be, okay, I actually have the power to decide of my own life. For citizens, it can be, okay, as a group, we have the power to make something change. Or as any group, organization, team, and so on, 
it's okay together we actually have the power of moving our organization forward or doing things differently or changing the way we are doing things so for me what is at the root of everything is really empowerment individual and, and collective 